Hello, today marks the start of a two-week conference, the COP26, the UN uh, Climate Summit, which is being hosted here in the UK, in Glasgow. And many countries from around the world will be coming together over the next few, for, uh, few weeks to make plans for tackling the climate emergency that we are now in. There is now overwhelming scientific consensus that the world's temperature is rising. This is already having a catastrophic effect around the world with an increase in both the occurrence and the intensity of storms, floods, droughts, wildfires, famines and more. A recent report stated that climate change is already affecting every inhabited region across the globe, with human influence contributing to many observed changes in weather and climate extremes. And you know, as it stands, we are not on course to curb the rise in global temperature significantly enough to avoid environmental catastrophe, which is why dramatic action is being called for. So this is a big moment. You know, over the next two weeks, world leaders will literally be discussing the future of our planet. And so we wanted to create space to talk about this as a church community, to think about what our response should be as followers of Jesus. And I appreciate um, that everyone listening will be in different places with this. You know, some of you may think this isn't such a big deal. Others of you will be passionately committed to this idea of creation care. And by creation care, I mean this idea of looking after the world that God created. There will be some who recognise that this is an important issue, but would ask the question, what has this got to do with the gospel? Why are we talking about this in church? And as we spend time now looking at the scriptures, um, looking at what they have to say about this, you know, that's the most important place to start. I hope that you'll see that creation care is very much at the heart of our faith, that we have been commissioned by God to take care of this beautiful planet that he has created. And that creation care is part of our kingdom work as Jesus' disciples. Now, this isn't the church just being kind of woke or liberal or, or bowing to the concerns of the world around us. But actually, this is a chance for the church to give a nod to the national conversation that's being had, the international conversation that's being had at the moment about the environment, and to point people to the heart of our creator who loves this earth and everything he has created and calls for us to care for it. So we're going to be looking today at the beginning of scripture in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now, these first few chapters of the Bible are fundamental to our understanding of who God is and his purposes for our world, um, of our understanding of who we are and what our purposes are to be in this world and what our relationship should be with him, with our creator. These chapters, this creation story acts as a blueprint, if you like, for us to build upon. So let's start at the start. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and he called the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. 
God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I'll just pause there. Now I read all of those verses out in one go just to give you a sense of the magnitude of it. Many of us will have read these verses before and as such it's easy to miss the poetry within it. The movement from one day to the next, you know, there was morning, there was evening, that day was done. That repetition of phrases like, and God saw it and it was good. The crescendo is each day this creation gets more and more intricate and breathtaking and full of life. This account, this kind of creation hymn, if you like, depicts an artist at work, the creator creating paradise, perfection. And wow, is it beautiful. God creates this beautiful world, a world that reflects him, his majesty, his power, his beauty, his glory, a world that carries his hallmark, that speaks of him and points back to him, that is so magnificent that it should lead us to worship him. You just look through the book of the Psalms and you'll, get, you'll see this idea time and time again. Psalm 19 has an example where it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. That's just one of hundreds of verses that I could have read that speak about this connection between creation and what it speaks, what it tells of, what it reveals about the creator that leads us then to worship him. You might have experienced this in your own life, you know, where you've been somewhere of breathtaking beauty and this has stirred in your heart worship for the one who created it. You know, for me, I am always drawn to the sea. I feel like it's kind of hardwired in me to kind of head there when I just need a bit of space 
to think, you know. In some of the most difficult, hard moments of my life, I found myself driving out somewhere and just sitting with the waves before me. And in those moments, it's like my heart, kind of in the midst of the pain that I'm in, my heart is drawn to a sense of worship, a sense of peace, a reminder of the beauty and majesty of God as I look out over his creation. I'm sure as I'm talking about that, maybe many of you will have somewhere in your mind where your heart likewise is drawn back to the creator. But you know, we are to worship the creator, not creation itself. You know, this account was written at a time when people did just this, you know, they would worship the moon, the sun and so on. They would make them into gods in their own right. But here in these verses, this very idea is dismantled verse by verse as God seemingly kind of effortlessly speaks um, things into being. He creates these things at his very word, the moon, the stars, the oceans come into being. The point um, that being made here is clear. There is one God, one God only, and he is king. He is powerful and mighty. And we see him here, the king, in his kingdom, where everything is good and as it should be. It is into this reality that God brings human beings. Let's pick it back up in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind, humankind, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God creates human beings in his image with this divine imprint. And then you'll see in verse 28, with that comes his divine blessing, God bless them. And then this divine commission to subdue and rule over the earth on God's behalf. And there's two Hebrew words here that are being used, kabash, which means subdue, and rada, which means dominion or rule. Now, these two words have been grossly misunderstood at times. You know, this is not permission to just exploit the earth for our own selfish use without any sense of care or responsibility. Yes, God gives his authority to humans to rule and reign over the earth, to enjoy it and use its resources. But this is to be done as people made in God's image. You know, verse 27, as his representatives ruling and reigning over the earth as God, the king, would rule with the same responsibility and care that God has shown to this masterpiece that he has just created. Alistair McGrath, the wonderful theologian, says this, This is God's creation. It is not ours. We are here as stewards. God has given us the immense privilege, but also the immense responsibility of living in this world and passing it on to others. It's lovely just to imagine for a moment if an artist, imagine this artist creates, finishes this beautiful, priceless painting, this beautiful piece of art, the best thing that they have ever created. And then they give it to a close friend as a gift. Now imagine if that friend looked at it and then picked up a paintbrush and just smeared paint all over it. Or if they used that canvas as a dinner, as a dinner tray to eat their tea off. Or if they just chucked it outside in the garden shed and kept it there. It's unimaginable that they would do that, isn't it? 
Now, a good friend, a wise friend, would understand the painting's value and worth, understanding what it says about their relationship with this artist, that they are entrusted with it in the first place. They would take good care of it. They would steward it well. Enjoying it, for sure, of course, but making sure it was well looked after, hung in the best place possible, protected from dust and harsh sunlight and kids' fingerprints and so on. Do you see, the invitation to rule and subdue is not an invitation to destroy and exploit. Now we get an even fuller understanding of what God has invited us into when we get to Genesis chapter 2, where we find a slightly different telling of the creation story. You know, chapter 2 tells the same event, but from a slightly different angle that kind of complements Genesis chapter 1. We read here in verse 7 how God forms the first man from the very earth, from the very creation itself, from out of the dust. Now the Hebrew word for man is Adam, which is why he's named that. <laughs> and then the Hebrew for ground, the soil, the earth that he's, that he's created from, is Adomah. Right from the beginning, the intrinsic link is made between us and the earth. It is established right there that we are closely related to each other. And God then takes this man, Adam, and in verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. There's two more great Hebrew words that are used here. This is a bit of a kind of a Hebrew lesson, start for 10 um, for you today. There's abad, which means work, and then shamar, which means take care. And both of them have this sense of kind of nurturing and tending. So interestingly, these two words are used together later on in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 3, 7 to 8. You can look it up in your own time. But they're used in talking about the role of the priests at the tabernacle. The tabernacle was like the transportable temple that contained the presence of God. So Adam is being called to, yes, to being a gardener, but also to being a guardian, a gardener and a guardian. Like the temple priests, his role is to serve and protect this garden as the place where God's presence dwells. Now, where am I going with all of this? Do you see how from the very beginning, these three entities are deeply connected with each other? God, the king, his creation, and humankind. They are all deeply interconnected. You know, God has expressed himself. He's created this beautiful creation. He has then created humankind in his very image. And then humankind has been created from creation itself. They are all deeply connected to each other at this point. And it's paradise. You know, that's the Greek translation used here for the garden. Paradise. God's presence dwells deeply in that place. The earth is in perfect balance. Humankind takes seriously its divine commission to steward the earth. You know, in the next few verses, Adam gets the joy of, um, of naming all the animals with God. He's using this authority he's been given. And it's beautiful. And then, as you know, Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world. The moment where Adam and Eve doubt the goodness of God. They think that they know better. They disobey their creator. And as such, the pollution of sin enters into the world. And what was once so deeply connected is then ripped apart. Humanity is now disconnected from God. Instead of living holy lives, Human beings live by their own selfish desires. You know, we've just been looking at this whole idea through our holiness series, so listen back if you missed it. Our hearts turn elsewhere. We worship other gods, the gods of selfish ambition, of consumerism, of greed. You know, human greed lies at the heart of so much of the destructive behaviour ruining our planet. You know, this attitude that it's mine and I have to have it now. 
We want things to be convenient. You know, I think if we're all honest, if we looked at a lot of our motors a lot of the time, often we just make the easiest choice possible in a moment. We want things to be convenient and as such, we put our own needs first, regardless of the consequences. So humanity is now disconnected from God, but humanity is also now disconnected from the earth itself. You know, when we disregard the creator, we end up disregarding his creation. And it's worth thinking that if the beauty of creation reflects and reveals the God who created it, then likewise our sin and rebellion is also reflected. You know, that rubbish on beaches, pollution in rivers, smog, deforestation, and so on. You know, we know that the Earth's resources are finite, but we just keep using them anyway. We no longer care and tend for the garden that God has given us, but we use it for what we can just get out of it. On the most basic level, modern life means that for many of us, we live in a way that is very disconnected from creation. You know, this summer, my husband Matt and I, we um, went and stayed a bit of time with his parents down in Winchester. And Matt's parents had this huge allotment. It's beautiful. And boy, are they growing a lot of stuff in this allotment. And so one day we took the kids over there to have a look at it. And they had their most amazing afternoon digging up all the different vegetables of realising, wow, potatoes grow in the ground. <laughs> of like seeing like runner beans and picking all these runner beans, of looking at tomatoes and picking up those. And we headed home after that afternoon. They were like full of joy and we had baskets full of fruit and veg for us to go home and cook with. Now, I'm not saying that meant that they then ate the veg, <laughs> but at least they got to see where it was grown. And they had the most joy-filled, deep joy afternoon of just connecting with creation. Perhaps too many of us live in a way that ultimately is disconnected from creation. So humanity lives disconnected from God and disconnected from creation. And lastly, humanity is now disconnected from each other. You know, we live in this individualistic way, hard-hearted towards the impact our decisions have on each other. You know, the reality is climate change is a justice issue. That's what the term climate justice is referring to. You know, whilst climate change affects us all, it is the poor who are impacted first and worst. The way we are damaging the earth is pushing people deeper and deeper into extreme levels of poverty. And the deep injustice here is that the countries that are most affected are those that have had the least carbon footprint. They are least responsible for climate change. They are also the countries with the fewest resources to help protect against the impacts of climate change that they didn't cause in the first place. An Oxfam report recently said this, the poorest 3.5 billion people are responsible for just 10% of carbon emissions. And this is all interlinked with the concept of racial injustice, you know, an issue that we've been thinking about lots as a church and we're going to continue thinking about. You know, it's people of colour around the globe who are disproportionately affected by the effects of climate change. And climate change across the board worsens the existing inequalities in our society. So as Christians, we are called to love our neighbour as ourselves, you know. Climate change is having a devastating impact on our global neighbours. And this matters to God. He cares deeply for those people. So you might be thinking, what a mess. <laughs> it was into this mess that Jesus was born, that the creator entered his creation. You know, have a look at John 1, where John 1 is, is referring back to the creation story in Genesis 1. The creator enters his creation. He died on the cross and overcame death 
for our mess. Jesus, who began the work of advancing God's kingdom, you know, God's rule and reign, here on earth as it is in heaven. And as his followers, we get to partner with him in extending his kingdom now, in seeing all things restored to what they should be. And this includes the restoration of that divine commission by God, given to us in the garden to rule and reign, to tend and care, to serve and protect God's creation as God's representatives on earth, as partakers in his kingdom. And of course, we look forward to the day when God's kingdom is, will be fully present, where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, when we will all be renewed. You know, scripture tells us that the earth creation is groaning alongside us. It's longing for this day to come too. Romans 8, if you want to look it up this week. But our role as his disciples is to partner with him to bring this future age into the now. And you know, looking after our planet, creation care, is all part of what it means to extend the kingdom, of what it means to pray thy kingdom come in its fullest, deepest sense. So what do we do? There's a danger that we feel overwhelmed when we read the statistics about climate change and the danger, our the damage our planet has suffered and will continue to suffer if change doesn't come quick. You know, I've just heard this week, um, chatting to someone in our church who, um, who's been involved um, working with a growing number of young people suffering with what's been termed eco-anxiety. These are young people, children who feel terrified about these issues and feel like they've got no agency, no power to bring about change. You know, in my own family, I've seen this in a very, very small way. You know, my youngest has been asking questions about climate change and he's really worried about it. He's asked if he could go to Glasgow in the next couple of weeks to help our planet. And I understand that I get why young people feel hopeless, like there is no chance for change. But of course, there are things that we can do. We believe in the God of all hope. And as people, to, as people commanded to tend the garden, we can contend for our planet. We are commanded to tend the garden, we should contend for our planet. And how do we do this? Well, we can pray. We can pray for our leaders these next two weeks, for the outcome of this conference, for change that lasts. You know, in our prayer gatherings over the next few weeks that we run all the time, every week as a church, we host a number of prayer gatherings. Go onto our website under the prayer section to find out where they are. Why don't you get involved in one of those this week and join together and be praying for this conference? We believe prayer changes things. So let's start praying some big prayers. We can repent, repent of the way that we've treated the world. You know, this starts with us, with an examination of our hearts where we are apathetic or selfish or greedy. It starts with asking the Lord to break our hearts for the impact that this is having on the poorest, most vulnerable people in our world. It's time for us to repent. And of course, we can live differently. Now, I'm not going to rattle through all the things that we can do to live in a more sustainable way because lots of you will already know these things. You know, that's not the reason why we don't do them. And if you don't know where to start, then Google it, you know. Literally, everyone is talking about this at the moment, so it won't take too much work to find out some of the things that you can start to do in your own life to live in a more sustainable way that cares for our planet more. Often, just start with consuming less, you know. Reusing more and buying less is a great place to start this journey. Maybe for you, it'd be helpful to carry on this conversation within the context of community. We're going to be looking at this in our small groups this week and talking about this more as groups together. So let's keep talking about it. You know, within our staff team, we're examining how this organisation can run more and more sustainably. And lastly, we can stand up and be counted. 
You know, the church around the world has a unique moment, if it would take it, to stand up and say that this matters, that this is part of our discipleship as Christians, that this is part of the kingdom message of Jesus. Historically, the church's voice has been instrumental in moments of change in the past. This is one of those moments. Thank you.